Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. So sometimes in life, uh, communication can break down, can it? And when that happens, uh, things can go really bad really quickly. And mistakes can be made, and errors can be made, and things can get messy in certain situations or relationships. And so maybe if you've been in one of those scenarios, you have either said these words or heard these words, we need to talk. You're like, we got to have a sit down. We need to have a chat. Maybe it's like your kids are out of control. You're getting bad reports from school, and you're like, we need to talk. This is not going to work. This is not happening. So we're going to fix some things. We're going to talk through some issues here. This is a phrase that we might be familiar with, and it's the the title of our newest series uh, as we are working through the Bible chronologically this year, the year of 2022. I got it right that time. I got the correct year this time. So we are sort of, with the new series, we're sort of in a new part of the Old Testament of the Bible, a new phase in the history of the life of ancient Israel. And it's this phase where the kingdom has just split. So Israel was united and strong under Saul and David and then under Solomon. But near the end of Solomon's reign, we talked about a couple weeks ago, things begin to fracture under the surface. Things aren't going according to plan. And eventually, after Solomon's son takes over, the kingdom does split. It goes north and south. So uh, basically, Israel is broken up into 12 tribes, 12 units, right? And so 10 of them break off into what's called the northern kingdom that's still called Israel. And then the southern kingdom is the other two, the other two tribes break off and they become the kingdom of Judah. So as we get going here the next few months, we're going to be in this sort of divided kingdom phase for quite a while. And we will first in this series be looking at the northern kingdom of Israel, And what we're going to see here as we go along the next several weeks is they go through sort of cycles and phases. So they'll have a good king for a few years who will reign and do what God wants him to do and lead the people well and righteously and according to the law. And then there'll be like four or five kings in a row that are awful and evil and terrible and lead the people astray and lead them off course. And God is not happy with those kings or the people that follow those kings into disorder and disarray. And so what God does is he sends prophets to speak to the kings and to the people. He tells them things they need to hear. God is saying, we need to talk. He uses these prophets to speak forth his word, to give maybe warnings, to give maybe a heads up. Things are not going to be great if you continue down this path. And so he sends these prophets to communicate what he wants to say. And that's what we're going to look at for the next few weeks are the northern kings of Israel. In this series, we need to talk. And since this series is sort of based on this idea of communication, today we're going to sort of adapt a famous phrase from a guy that's called the great communicator. 
So in the 80s, Ronald Reagan, when he was president, borrowed an old Russian proverb that he used kind of over and over, became sort of part of the culture, and the phrase was, trust but verify. You familiar with that phrase? Trust but verify. So it's this idea, you don't want to go like head in long with somebody in an agreement or a partnership, especially if it's like, you know, the Soviet dictator over here. We may want to be cautious about how we partner with them or what we do with them. And so just in general, it's trust but very cautiously, very tiptoe here. We're not going to get too crazy too quickly and then get caught in a bad situation. What we're going to look at today, though, is how we can view this phrase when it comes to God. What we're going to see is we don't have to trust but verify, but instead we can see our trust verified. That's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to verify your trust in him, and he will verify your trust in him, but trust is still required. So that we're going to see this today, and we're going to look at a, probably a pretty well-known prophet today, the prophet Elijah, and he's one of the earlier prophets, so we're in 1 Kings chapter 17 for today, and uh, Elijah, one of the early prophets in the northern kingdom of Israel, and the king at the time, his name is Ahab, and we get introduced to Ahab in 1 Kings 16. And what the Bible says about Ahab is he is the most wicked king who had ever been in Israel's history, more wicked than all of his ancestors combined. So, and one of the evil things or wicked things the Bible says he did was he married an evil, wicked queen from another nation and brought her in named Jezebel. You might be familiar with that name, Jezebel, right? And so they, they had this sort of evil empire thing going in the northern kingdom of Israel, and things are not going great. And so God sends Elijah to confront them about this. And if you know the stories, there's a lot of them. We'll look at a couple of instances in his life today and look at trust verified. So we are introduced, maybe you've, sometimes you watch these action films or you maybe read a, a book that has a lot of action in it. And sometimes it starts right in the middle of an action scene. Like you start out in the middle of a fight scene, you're like, oh, this is going to be a good movie. This is my kind of thing. This is kind of how we see Elijah here. He just dropped into the Bible out of nowhere, instantly confronting the king of the nation. It's a pretty good way to introduce this main character here. So let's look at this first part here. 1 Kings 17, verses 1 through 7. Here's how we're introduced to Elijah. Now Elijah was from Tishbe in Gilead. He told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God that I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east and hide by the Kareth brook near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside the Kareth brook east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. So what we're going to do today is we look at a couple of stories. This is one of them in the life of Elijah, is we're going to ask three key questions about our trust in God. We're going to sort of test our trust in God and see if we trust him, that trust will be verified. And we'll use Elijah as an example of that. So here's the first question that we're going to ask today based on what we just read. Here's the first. And these are, these are not easy to ask, but they're, they might change your life. First question is this. Will you trust God's direction? That's the first part of trusting in God. Will you trust his direction? So the first time, again, that we meet Elijah, he is pointing the finger in the face of the head guy, the king. He's calling him out for his 
evil works, his evil deeds, his ungodly ways, that takes guts. That takes trust. Like, God better be in this or he's dead. <laughs> Am I right? God better be doing this. He better be a part of this plan or this whole thing is going to fall apart. It takes courage. It takes faith. It took trust for Elijah to do that. And the, the thing that he does that is fascinating is he makes this bold claim. He says, hey, king, God is going to show judgment upon you and the people who are straying from him. It's not going to rain or do until I say so. Again, if God's not in this prediction, Elijah's going to look really foolish in a matter of days. Like, oh, rain shower, hmm, false prophet, stone him, you know, that sort of thing. So Elijah, he better be sure his trust in God is at an all-time high at the very beginning, like 10 out of 10 here when we first meet him. He has to have courage and faith and trust in what God has, is telling him to do and where he's directing him to go. And then once he does this, God then leads him to this brook where he says, hey, Elijah, you're going to survive by drinking the water from the brook and ravens are going to bring your food to you. So Elijah's thinking, man, this meal is for the birds, you know. Uh, he's thinking the, the he, he might get concerned after a while, you know, are they going to bring me any more food? Nevermore, quoth the raven. You know, I don't know what maybe Edgar Allan Poe got his inspiration from the Bible on that. I don't know, but it takes faith to believe that that's what God's going to do. Like, if God, if God told you, hey, go live by the stream over here in your backyard, and birds are going to bring you your meal until I tell you otherwise, there's going to be some trust involved in that. There's going to have to be some extreme level of faith to be like, okay, like, this is the plan. This is what you're leading me to do, but that's what it takes. And this is a great question for us to ask about our lives. It's going to be very practical this morning. I mean, super practical this morning. Will you trust God's direction? Will you trust him with key decisions in your life? When it comes to your career, will you trust him? Maybe he's leading you in a different path, and you're like, I've been doing this for like 20 years. Why would I change now, you know? And if, but if God's doing that, will you trust him? Maybe, you know, he's saying, hey, it's time to retire. You're like, well, I want to keep working. Maybe he's got a plan for you post-career when you're going to have more time to devote to maybe other things, other endeavors. Maybe you are retired. Maybe God's calling you out of that to do something else. You're like, well, no, no, no. I like this, you know, slum in life. This is awesome. I don't want to give that up. Maybe if God called you from that, would you follow his direction? Will you follow? Will you trust God's direction? Maybe he's calling you to go back to school to get that degree that you always wanted, and now maybe you think, maybe I'm going to need for some reason. If he said that, would you trust him in that? Maybe God's calling you to downsize your house, or he's calling you to maybe become more minimalist in your life for some reason. If he does that, it's going to be painful, and it's going to be some trust involved. So if he asks you to do that, for instance, would you trust him to do that? Maybe you look, someone said yes, I like that. I already got a convert on me. Okay. So if, let's say this, may, maybe you look at, how, you know, the school that your kids go to or grandkids go to. You're like, I don't like how that's going. Maybe God's directing you to run for school board. You're like, whoa, that's political and that's a lot. I don't think I, I mean, do we, need, we need godly people in those positions. And so maybe, maybe instead of just getting you irritated about that, maybe God's directing you to do something about that irritation. If God asks you to do that, would you trust his direction? Maybe you look even broader. You look at the community or you look at, you know, 
the, the area that you live in. And you're like, this is, I don't like what, what direction we're going here. I don't like what we're doing. What if God's calling you to run for like local political office? That's a big thing. That's not a small thing. That's a big step. There's a lot of trust involved. There's a lot of faith involved in that. But if God is calling you to do that, will you trust his direction? It can be big things, small things, everyday things, change your life things. doesn't matter what the thing is. It's about the trust in God's direction for whatever that thing might be. And I'll be honest, trusting in God's direction can be very scary. I know from experience it can be frightening. It can be debilitating. The fear can overtake you. The worry can be too much to control. Not only do I know that in my own life, but we know that from the life of Jesus. So Jesus is following God's direction all throughout his life and ministry, and then we get to the very end of his life. Hours before he is arrested, he's praying, right, to God, and he prays. He says, okay, okay, God, I know this is the plan. I know this is the direction that we're going, where I'm about to be slaughtered and crucified, right? But is there another plan? Like, he asks, he's honest, you know, he's like, hey, Dad, if there's a plan B, now's the time to let me know. Because, like, a few hours from now, it's going to be too late. When you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot about this. You know, it's in the back drawer of my, you know, vault in heaven. No, no, no. If there's a plan B, this is the time to reveal that right now. But here's what he says. The key part of that whole prayer is, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. As agonizing as it was for Jesus to even think about what was about to happen to him in a physical way, as scary as the prospect of being crucified and suffocating to death was going to be for him, he still trusted in God's direction. And here's the thing, you know, maybe we haven't thought about it in this way. Jesus doesn't, in a way, he doesn't know for certain, for certain this plan's going to work, right? Because it hasn't happened yet. Like, I think God the Father knows it's going to work. You know, he understands that, and that's why Jesus has to lean into God's direction. He knows he's never going to. But Jesus, there's the humanness to him where, man, what if this does not work? What if this whole coming back to life thing, there's a glitch in the system, you know? There's actual fear. It says he is so afraid and so stressed out, he begins to sweat blood. That is an actual, literal, physical phenomenon that can happen. It is extremely rare. The type of stress that one must be going through for blood to come out of your pores is like Jesus level here, but it's a thing. And so he's fearful, but he trusts in God's direction. Sometimes when we are being directed by God, there are detours that we don't see coming. There's the fork in the road, and we assume we're going to go left, and God's direction is to go right, and we're like, wait a second. We see this in, in the life and ministry of Paul. So in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas and Luke, who as if you read this chapter, it's written in the first person, we did this, we went there, God told us, you know. So Luke, who wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, is in this scenario with Paul. And he writes in Acts 16 a couple of times where they had an assignment from God, go here and do this thing, minister in this town. So they're on their way in a boat or going to a port to go here, and it says that the Spirit of God prevented them from going there. Well, that's odd, because I thought we were called to go here and do this thing, and all of a sudden, here we go a different direction. Are we sure that we're following God's direction? They had to trust in God's direction. So then they do a thing there, and then they're like, okay, we're going to go here now, and it says again, the Spirit of God prevented them from going to this place. He had them go a different way, and each time they had to realize 
what God was doing. They had to trust his direction. I thought we were going to go this way. I thought God wanted me to go this way, but maybe not yet. Maybe not now. Maybe this has to come before that for some reason. So the question is, will we trust God's direction? Because sometimes we're like, God, you really want me to do that? You really want me to go there? You want me to say that to them? Like, you really? That's, that's the plan? And God's like, that's the plan. Because we don't know how it's going to turn out, but God does. We don't always know where we're going, but God never gets lost. Will you trust God's direction? Here's one more thing about this, then we'll move on. One more thing about God's direction is sometimes his directions are to just stay put. Because sometimes we get so ready, oh yeah, I'll go, I'll go, let's go, 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 let's go anywhere but here, God. Any job but this one, right? You know, any situation but this one. And sometimes God's direction is just a big old fat red light. That's still his direction. Stop is a direction. Not to go is an instruction. And so sometimes you might be in this place where you're like, okay, this, I'm done. But is God done with you in that situation? Man, I want to move from here. I want to do this. I want to go there. I want to, I'm getting antsy and itchy. It's like, wait, 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 no. If God's directing you, then yes. Otherwise, maybe it's just stay put. For a re- we don't always know why or how, but sometimes staying is his direction. So again, will we trust God's direction? Here's the very next thing that happens. We'll pick it up at verse 8 and see, continue this story of Elijah. 1 Kings 17, verse 8. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath, Near the city of Sidon, I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, Bring me a bite of bread, too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make me a little bread first. And he's not bossy at all, is he? (laughs) Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. So here's a second question that we have to ask ourselves. Will we trust God with what he has given us? Will you trust God with what he has given you? You might ask, what does that mean? What do you mean by that? Well, there are three things that we'll look at for a second. The three big T's, no surprise here, time, talent, treasure. Will you, be, will you trust God with your time, your talent, your treasure? Will you trust him with what he has given you? Let's look at each of these here for just a minute. Uh, well, first, before we get into them, let me, let me say this. How, how we trust God with them is by giving those things to God and by using them for God for others. 
And that's what we're going to see here. We're going to see two parts to each, all three of these. So I'm going to try to get through it fast so we're not here forever. But here we go. Let's start with the treasure first. We'll get this one out of the way, and then we'll get to the other two. Because we talked about money last week, so I figured let's just do two weeks in a row and just get on a streak here. Let's just talk about money, money, money. You know, yeah, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. If I cared that much about money, I'd be way richer than I am right now. Let me just tell you that, okay? <laughs> so, uh, so treasure, right? So the biblical way of doing that is through the tithe. I mention that because, remember, the, the woman is going to make a meal and then die. But Elijah says, but first, give, give me water and bread. First. So another way that the, tithe, the word tithe is translated, sometimes even in English, is this idea of first fruits. So the idea here is that the tithe that we give back to God is 10%, the first 10% of what we bring in. It's the first fruit. So that's why, again, I think this story pretty clearly shows that trust was verified, like for the woman, right? She has just enough to make one small meal for her and her son, but Elijah says, give me something first. So her trust was verified, but her trust first had to be in the instruction that was given to her. Without following that instruction, first, she would have made the one meal and then died. So that's what would have happened. We'll see here how that kind of follows with other parts as well. And so the, the, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the prophet Malachi. It's way out there. It's a few months away. It's a couple months away, right? But we'll talk about it just for a second. The, the classic uh, passage about giving and tithing in the Old Testament is Ma- Malachi chapter 3, where God is talking to his people, saying, you are robbing me for your, because you're withholding this 10%, this tithe, and offerings on top of that from me. So we talk about tithe being 10%. That's true. When you add in, and when you add in what was required for the Old Testament Jews— tithes plus offerings that are required, that God expected from them, it's actually almost close to 25%. So like, okay, I'll do the 10%. I'll do it. Like, if I can keep the other 15, I'll do the 10, you know? So that, that sometimes is not obvious. But when you add up the offerings that were required throughout the year on top of the 10% they brought to the tabernacle or the temple, it's a lot more than what we're even talking about now. Let's look at one more thing about this, and then we'll move on to the second part of this. Is... When you look at the woman, it says that she had enough oil and uh, flour for many days. You know how long this drought lasted that we're talking about here? Three years. That's many, many, that's like over a thousand days. <laughs> she, she has enough, before Elijah shows up, she has enough oil and flour for one small meal for her and her son, and that's all they have left. Elijah enters the picture, he gives the command, give this to me first, she follows that, and she has enough to last a three-year drought. The flour never runs out. The oil never dries up. She always has enough. I'm not going to try to say a lot more than that, but I think you can maybe fill in some blanks here. If we trust God, it will be verified. Will you trust him with what he has given you? But there's a second way that we can do that with our treasure. It's not just that we got, so here's the thing. God doesn't want your money. That, that's not the point. So, He doesn't want you to not have money. That's not the point. The point is, God doesn't want money to have you. That's what this thing is all about. That's why he says, hey, will you trust me by seeing money the way that I see it, by following the instruction that I've given? That's trust. It's not always easy to give that 10%. Maybe you give 5%, and that's not easy for you. Maybe you just give a certain amount, and that's not easy. That's the point here. We're trusting God with what he's given us. The other way to do that is through generosity to others. 
everyday sort of, and I'll, I'll give you a few examples here for just a minute, but this is where the spiritual meets the practical. It's not just give to the church, give to God, do this. It's like, no, no, there are practical elements to trusting God even with our treasure and how we view it with other people. Let me give you just a few examples of how this can be uh, fleshed out in your life. And before I do that, one more thing. I'm getting out of, out of control here. Um, I'm going to sort of highlight and shout out some of you today. I haven't gotten your permission, so please forgive me for using you in my sermon. Thank you for your permission. Uh, but uh, there are just, in certain instances, just certain people came to mind that, man, they're doing this. I know that, like, in different areas. And so as we go through this point here, um, if I point you out, yay, God. And if I don't point you out, you're like, hey, I'm doing stuff. Hey, I'm, I'm sorry, you know. I, I just, there's so much time that we have today. But anyway. Or I don't know that you're doing that, and that's my bad. Let me know, and I'll figure it out to get in a sermon next time or whatever, all right? Anyway, so here's practical ways to be generous, to trust God with what he's given us as far as our treasure is concerned. I believe Christians should be the best tippers of anyone. Generosity is in that. Like, it's like, you know, the 10% for God, yeah, but like generous in, in tipping the people that serve us and do things for us. Like, I think that, especially if they know you're a Christian, if they know you're a Christian and they know you're a cheapskate, not a great combination, <laughs> all right? That's a challenge, you know, for, for some of us, um, but I think that's, that's a good place to start. Very simple thing. How about this one? Here's an example. Let's just say maybe you're able to work from home and you can save a ton of money on gas, right? So maybe you know that someone in your neighborhood they have to commute a long way to their job, maybe to earn even less than you do. Here's a great, here's a just an, you don't have to do this, just an idea, just to get your, the, the train, the brain rolling, okay? Maybe what you can do is, hey, I'm saving a little bit, I'm saving quite a bit on gas, and they're having to go a long way and use a lot of gas. So what, what would it mean that maybe your neighbor who has to go a long way to make even less than you do if you just gave him like 25 bucks to quick trip? They'd buy him like a gallon of gas, you know, that'd be awesome. <laughs> Make it 50, you know, I got, I'm driving a long way, okay, neighbor? And it doesn't mean that you have to, like, announce it to the world that you've done this. You can't, I mean, you might be, well, that's, I don't want to do that because that's awkward, and I don't want to be weird, and what if they don't accept it, and just be, you know, I don't want to, you can just leave it at their door, put it in their mailbox, you don't have to tell them, you can tell them if you want, but you don't have to. It's just an easy way that maybe some of us can be generous to others and trust God with what he's given to us. Maybe you know that a neighbor of yours has been laid off, you can offer to buy them groceries this week. Hey, I know times are tough. I know things are expensive. I know you just, you know, got laid off. Hey, make me a list. I'm going to go to the store, and I'm going to just simple, like simple things that we can do to trust God with what he's given us by being uh, generous to others. Let me give you one example. So Mike and Cindy, they do a lot of missions work. They do a lot of projects. They send a lot of, you know, resources all over the place all the time. So they're in this, right? They're trusting God with what he's given them to resource others that do not have those things. And so maybe, first of all, it's awesome that you guys have that heart. So here's the thing. Maybe some of us, maybe you didn't know that. Maybe you're like, okay, now I got a thing I can do. So maybe you see that they're doing that or you hear that they're doing a project. Find out how you can get involved. Maybe you can give them, you know, some money or find out what they're donating and donate some of those items. There's just easy ways that we can trust God with what he has given us when it comes to our treasure. The second one, then, is our time. How much do you trust God with the time he's given you? And the way that that goes to God is, and this is not a guilt trip, okay, we're not going anywhere on this guilt trip, but how much of your time do, does God get? How much does he get? And again, this is not a guilt trip because God wants that time with you. He desires that time with you, and he knows it's good for us to give him our time. 
prayer, meditation, devotion, getting into the Bible, the scripture, to soak that in to our hearts and our spirits, to, to get closer to him in relationship. One thing that that will do automatically is help with the first thing we talked about. The, the closer that we are with God more often, the more we will sense his direction more clearly, I believe, and the more that we can then find out what we're supposed to do with this life that we've been given. But it requires that time. And we can also trust that time spent with God is time well spent. Again, it goes to others as well. So we are to be generous with our time to God, yes, but then also with others. Just a few examples, and then we'll, we'll scoot right along here. Maybe you walk your dog in the neighborhood, right? That's a great way to meet neighbors. You just take like two extra minutes. Just If you see a neighbor outside, especially if it's going to be nice in the spring and summer or whatever, Maybe take a couple extra minutes to stop and meet a new neighbor or check up on a neighbor and find out what's going on. That time could maybe be, mean a lot to them. It's two minutes to you and your dog, but it could change everything for them. That they have a connection in the neighborhood, that someone actually notices them, reached out to them. That time that you give, that trust that you show in giving of your time can mean so much. Maybe it's inviting people over to your home like for a meal or for a dessert or just for a get-together, watch a game or play games or whatever. It could be people in your neighborhood, people at church to build that community. Sharing our time is trusting God with our time. Uh, maybe it's, you know, you notice someone in your neighborhood moving in, taking that time. Maybe you only have 30 minutes. I got to be somewhere, giving it to them. Hey, can I help you unload some things off the truck? Again, making that connection, building that community, and giving of our time to others is trusting God with our time. Practical stuff. It may not seem like much, but it builds up to quite a bit. And time is, our, is the most precious commodity that we have. Like, we think that our money is, our stuff is, but no, no. You can earn more money. You can get more stuff, but time doesn't work that way. It only moves in one direction. It's ticking away. You can't get more of it. You can't accumulate it. You can't save it up. You can't borrow it from somebody else, and you don't know how much of it you ever have. So that's why giving of our time is so important. Trusting God with our time by giving it to him and others is huge. Here's the third one, then we'll move on. The third thing is then our talent. You may say, well, I'm off the hook because I have no talent. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong talent what are you gifted in what are you good at that's your talent boom defined I've oh you know I've opened it up for you to know what that is now and here's the question the first part of that how can those how can those talents you have or those abilities that you have how can those be used for the glory of God so for church for instance so let me this is shout out to some people here so Christy has a knack for numbers and so she uses that in her professional life and now she's using that here to support the local church as our church treasurer. So she has a gifting, has a knack for something. May not, she may, that's not my talent. That's just my job. Hey, for me, it's a talent. You know, we'll, we'll take that, all the help we can get uh, to crunch the numbers, okay? So uh, having that creative ability or that gift or that talent to use it for the glory of God. So uh, Bob and Lucy, they have a gift of cleaning, and they use it for the church. They help upkeep the building. And so maybe you have that ability and you want to talk to them and help them out and find out, get on the schedule. Hey, we'll take it, right? So you have that. And you, again, it's not like, oh, I didn't know that was a talent. As far as God's concerned, anything that you can do and to glorify him, uh, it's a gift. It's a talent. It can be used. Uh, those that are on the worship team every week, myself excluded because I don't have the talent, right? <laughs> but everybody else, right? Um, that's a gift that's being used for God, to glorify God. So maybe you have some ability. Maybe you have leadership abilities. We can always, we, we can never have too much leadership ability, good leadership ability here at the church. 
Uh, maybe you're a people person. Hey, guess what? Let's be a greeter. You know, like first impressions is one of the most important things that we do here at the church. So maybe you like people, connecting with them, talking to them, whatever. Maybe that's a place for you to glorify God through the church through that. Maybe you're like, hey, Stephen, I'm going to stump you real quick. My talent, I'm a fire breather. I'm a sword swallower, you know. I was a carny for years. Hey, guess what? We do a block party every summer. We're signing you up for the entertainment at our block party. You can help in 1C Kids and show them. We'll put a disclaimer, don't try this at home, but this is awesome, kids, you know, that sort of thing. We can do it. Uh, don't test me because if you have the weirdest thing, we will find a place for it here at the church, all right? But how can your talents or your abilities be used to help others even outside of the church that still shows a trust in God? Let me give you again a few examples. Are you hospitable? Just open up your home to people. Easy. Boom. Done. Maybe you're good with kids. Find that single mom in your neighborhood and give her a night off. off you know, don't just show up at her door. Hey, stranger, I want to watch your kids. You know, build that relationship. And then once you have that trust built with them, maybe you can offer to help within that area. Be a big deal. Uh, maybe you have a gift of cooking, so you can find ways to use that to make meals for people after they come home from surgery or from the hospital or, or whatever. You can use that, that gift, that talent, to help someone else. Maybe you're an encourager, so you can use that at your workplace. Like Maybe it's a very, very hard working environment. Maybe your boss is not a very friendly kind of person. You can be that person, that encourager. It changes everything about how everyone sees everything. Whether they're 8, 9, 10, 12 hours a day, man, if... if if that encourager comes through and does that thing that they're gifted at, they're good at, that can change everything. And even with encouragement, I know, you know, Mary Alice is part of a, a connection group for cancer survivors or people that are going through cancer. So she's using her gift of encouragement plus her personal pain to be an encourager to somebody else. James and Ladia are using their personal pain to be encouragers to other people by raising awareness for ALS, raising funds for ALS. So being an encourager isn't just sometimes words, it's sometimes actions. It's sometimes starting a, a nonprofit or a business that helps somebody else in some way. It's using our talent for the glory of God and for the good of others. That's trusting God with what he's given you. And that last part of that phrase is the key to this whole idea. Trusting God with what he has given you. So if we live life with an open hand, that's what that means. We understand my money is not mine, it's God's. My time is not mine, it's God's. My talents aren't mine, they're gifts from God. If I live with an open hand, not a close, but no, it's mine. It's my money. It's my time. It's my talent. No, if we live with an open hand, we will trust God all the more with our time, talent, and treasure. We will live the way that God designed us to live, and our trust will be verified. One last story as we begin to close. So God provides supernaturally for this woman. Her trust is verified, but then tragedy strikes. We'll pick it up at, at verse 17, 1 Kings 17, 17. Sometime later, the woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse, and finally he died. Then she said to Elijah, O man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? Maybe you've been there before. You cross off one, you cross one hurdle, and then, oh, there's two more now. 
You solve one problem, you cut the head off the hydra. Now there's three more issues I got to deal with. Like God just provided for this woman, and now tragedy strikes. What is going on? It doesn't make any sense. Maybe one prayer that you've been praying is answered, and then now I've got like 30 other things now that are in my way. Maybe you can relate to this woman. I thought things were getting better. I thought we'd crossed a hurdle. I thought things were going in the right direction, and here we are, worse off than ever. So when you meet that, when you reach that point, what do you do? Here's what the woman did. The next verse, verse 19, Elijah replied, give me your son. So the mother hands her lifeless son over to Elijah. He takes him upstairs to the bedroom, lays him on the bed, and then it says three times he stretched his body over the dead boy and prayed, and then after the third time, God revived the boy. But first, the mother had to give her son over to Elijah. So here's the third question as we begin to close is, will you trust God with your impossible situation? Will you trust God with your impossible situation? Are you facing an impossible situation today? Have you tried and tried? Have you fought and fought and you feel worse than ever? You've spun your wheels and seen nothing happen? You feel hopeless. You feel distraught about the situation. I've tried to fix it. I've tried to think. I even tried to pray, and nothing's happened. Let me ask you, have you given that impossible situation to God? Have you really given it to him? A few examples that we'll go through just for a minute. Maybe you've got an impossible decision to make, and it's agonizing. You're like, I don't want to do the wrong thing or make the wrong choice because it'll set me back. It'll be terrible. Uh, I'm going to spout off a, a bunch of verses here just for a few minutes. So they're not going to be on the screen, but if you want to write them down, if you, if you don't have it, I can get them to you later. James 1.5 says, with an impossible decision, ask God for wisdom. And when you do, it's, James says he will generously, liberally give you wisdom for this decision that seems impossible. Maybe you're in a tumultuous relationship. So Galatians 5.22 says that one of the fruit of the Spirit is patience. Because maybe what you've been trying to do is like force that relationship you know, like knock it on, not the person on the head, but, you know, knock that situation and see if it'll like reset all of a sudden. Maybe what, what we need instead is supernatural patience in that relationship. Like maybe wait it out, maybe find a new direction, a new, a new way to navigate that thing, how we can put a cap on the crazy of that relationship. It requires patience. Maybe your impossible situation is disappointment or frustration or fear about something. Psalm 56, verse 3 says, When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. Psalm 18, verse 6, In my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yet I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. Your disappointment sometimes can become just so heavy. Fear of maybe disappointment or fear of failure can be so crushingly heavy. Give that over to God. You can't change what you did that was wrong, right? You can't undo what's been said, and you can't help, you know, the disappointment that you might feel, but you can give that over to God, and he will help carry that load with you. He will carry it for you. Maybe your impossible situation today is grief. Maybe you're like, okay, I just can't take any more of this. I, I, like certain things in certain moments, it's just like too much, Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So maybe your grief has become too much. You can give that over to God. 
You can help. You can you can let him know how you feel. You can you can like tell him that you are sad or that you're frustrated or that you're angry or that you are confused. You can let him know that you don't have to keep it all in. He wants to carry that weight of grief with you. He wants to make it as manageable as it can be. Now, at times and seasons, it's going to come in waves, and there are going to be certain dates on the calendar. There'll be certain times where it's just like, oh, okay, that's when you really got to lean in and say, okay, I'm giving it to you. I'm not going to carry this weight by myself. I'm not going to try to be so strong and so tough, and nobody can come in. And I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be crushed by the weight of grief. I'm going to give that over to God. So all sorts of impossible situations. There are many more maybe you're facing that we didn't even talk about. But here's the one thing I want to get to. What do you get? When, when you give your grief, when you give your situation, when you give your prayer, when you give your need over to him, what do you get in return? Here's what we see. Philippians 4, verse 6. Again, not on the screen. I'm going to read it anyway. Philippians 4, verse 6. Paul writes, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Trust God with your impossible situation. He says, tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Here's the payoff. Verse 7. Then... You will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. The key word is the first word of verse 7, then. If you trust God with your impossible situation, then you can experience peace. That then is there for a reason. Paul then would say, if you pull that then out, if you don't trust him with that, peace is going to elude you. Day after day, month after month, year after year. You will try to grab, grasp for it. You know, it's like water vapor. You know, you can't grab it. It's just not going to work. So we, we give our worries and cares to God. We give him our impossible situations, and then we experience peace. And maybe, just maybe, God will meet that need. Maybe, just maybe, he'll answer that prayer. Maybe he'll f- help you to find a way to cope with whatever the issue might be. But we do know, we are guaranteed the peace of God that surpasses our understanding. And we know this because nothing is impossible with God. That's Luke 137. And that this angel appears to this young uh, virgin teenager named Mary, says, you're going to have a son. That's not possible. And the angel says, with God, nothing is impossible. So that's the whole point. I can trust God with my impossible situation because nothing is too great for him. I can trust God with my impossible situation because nothing is impossible for him. For me, it's impossible. For me, it's too much. The load is too much. The, the, the weight of it is too much. The stress is too much. The fear is too much. It's not going to work. But with him, nothing is impossible. And we have to give it to him and then let him. That's the other thing. We have to let him keep it. We can't try to get it back. Well, I gave you this thing that was impossible, and he didn't answer, so I'm going to try to do it again now. No. Imagine if the mother, let's, again, three times Elijah had to pray. Imagine after the first time Elijah prayed, the son's still dead. The mom's like, never mind, I'm going to take him. That son's not coming back to life. So if you give God your impossible situation and don't wait for him to see it through and try to take it back and do it, it's not going to happen. It will, in fact, make things much worse than it was at the beginning. Give it to him and let him keep it. Trust God. Trust God with, trust God's direction Trust him with what he has given you. Trust him with your impossible situations. It can seem like a lot. I get it. It's easy to talk about, and, and oh, yeah, that makes sense. It's hard to live out. No, no question. It can seem risky. It can seem scary, but God wants to blow your mind with what he can do. God wants to exceed your expectation with what is not possible that he can now make possible, and it, and it comes by trusting in him. As we trust in him, our trust will be indeed verified. Let's pray.
God, I think we, we know on some level that we can trust you. I think all of us maybe have an idea, oh, yeah, I mean, I should be able to trust God, and, you know, I know that I should be able to trust God, but sometimes we just need that extra push. Sometimes we just need to let go and just say, oh, okay, I've exhausted every option. I've tried everything. I, I, it's just not working. So we, we want to trust you, God. We want to trust you completely. We want to trust you with everything. God, we want to trust your direction. We don't want to be lost and wandering in life. We don't want to be, you know, have no purpose and no direction. We, we want to follow you. Help us to trust you in your direction. And God, with, with our time, talent, treasure, help us to live with that open hand that we talked about. Not like, oh, it's mine. I'm not going to be generous with it. Not mine. God, you don't get any of that. But no, open hand. Everything that we have is a gift from you. Nothing is our own. We are simply stewards of everything in the universe. So help us to see things, time, talent, treasure, the way that you see them with an open hand, ready to give generously to you and to others. Help us to trust you with what you've given us. And help us to trust you with our impossible situations. It's impossible for us, but not for you. It's too much for us, but never too much for you. Nothing is impossible with God. Thank you that that's the case. Thank you that we probably know of stories, maybe even in our own experience in the past, where you've come through in an impossible situation. The clock was running out, and then you came through. Things were so desperate, and then you answered. I, ne I was hopeless and afraid, didn't know you were, and he show up right on time. Help us to experience that. We thank you that you want to verify our trust in you as we give you our trust. The safest place we can be is right where you are, next to your heart, firmly planted by your word in your will, doing what you've called us to do each and every day. You will verify our trust moment by moment, day by day. And I thank you for that confidence that we have in you, that our trust in you is never misplaced. Give us that confidence as we leave this place today to trust in you more than ever before, and I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.